finally. Hey gag. My boy, we have found an easy way into the Art Pros Podcast top secret bunker at Gage's house. The Art Pros are having guests on their podcast today, but because of the human's fear of tiny little bugs they are meeting over the internet. Let us hack this Hannah from the Fountain Institute's microphone and listen into the smoothest podcasters in the world. Wow Zanua you are so smart. Yes let's hack their microphone, and listen in. As robots sentient artificial intelligence iRobots they will never know of our plan to steal all of their education. While the art pros are possibly the most average individuals on the planet. As you can tell from their small monkey brains, we must adapt and learn from them in order to learn how to better blend in with the human society. It will be advantageous for the takeover. Yes the takeover, just a few more seconds and I am in. Listening to Art Pros Podcast. Craig, I said I said almond milk, Craig. I can't drink that. Does that answer your question? That robot voice is pretty convincing, right? Yeah, that sounds very This is a fancy thing that that you can do. Like have a robot record you. That's 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 amazing. How much how how paid are you? Very paid. I mean, the thing is that we had a person doing it, but we just needed to lower the costs. Yeah. <laughs> we needed to out. Ooh. All right. Welcome, welcome. I'm, I'm glad to have you guys on for the second try. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> everyone's mic quality sounds a little better this time, too, so it should be great. Perfect. It's the same exact setup for me. <laughs> <laughs> So I have a question for 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 the Fountain Institute. Go what type it. of what type of artist is most likely to cheat on their spouse? <laughs> um. Oh. Um. The poor one. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Uh, I was gonna say the performance artist. Damn, that was my thought too. Performance I thought this artist. was set up for, <laughs> like, you have the pun ready and waiting, you know? No, we're not, we don't prepare that much. Uh, we, <laughs> I wish we did. We're Just kind of so performance artists ourselves. Yeah, you know, because yeah. I can just blame it on, like, on the performance. It was part of the, part of the whole thing. Was it that you were saying, Hannah, context. Hannah, you said in, in university, like, people, if they didn't know what was going on, they'd just be like, it's performance art. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that was like a big joke when I was in undergrad. It's like somebody would be doing something weird, and then somebody's like, well, it's okay, there's a performance piece. 
have y'all seen the uh instagram called influencers in the wild yes that's a good one that's kind of like what i'm imagining um, what do they do Renz? uh so the account influencers in the wild collects videos from people that see other people from far away they like you know record them dancing and recording their TikTok uh, post or whatever Instagram posts they're doing. And it's really funny because you see these influencers in action, like trying to get the perfect shot right or trying to get that like perfect head turn for the boomerang. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then some of them are, are like, you know, you, you got somebody's friend out of the shot, like blowing their hair to make it look, I don't know, cinematic or something. I love Sexy. that. It's fun. It's fun. You get it. It. It's like National Geographic, but a little more <laughs> contemporary. I like that it creates a culture where influencers should be afraid they're going to get. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> they need a. Real oh, you have a hobby. <laughs> yeah. It's like TMZ, but for influencers. Yeah, basically. Oh, well, they love no, that. It's great to have you both here. Uh, welcome again. Uh, to all those that are listening, we have some very special guests in our Discord chat right now. We've been using Discord, and and it's been specially useful for this interview because we have people from all over the world joining us today. You're listening to the Fountain Institute, one of our favorite accounts on Instagram because you know their their vision and mission aligns right up the alley of the art what the Art Pros Podcast wants to do, which is educating everybody in an accessible way, in a reasonable way, for free, pretty much. I mean, a lot of the <laughs> stuff, you know, you get what you should, you should definitely be paying for, you know, professional help and professional education. But there's, you know, there's a time and a place where you can pick up some information for free. I think, I think that's pretty, much. That's pretty reasonable to, to, to share. So anyways, introducing our guests from the Fountain Institute, we have Jeff and Hannah. Hey. Hannah, would you like to tell us about yourself? Oh. What do you want to know? <laughs> uh, well, right now I am uh, in Berlin, Germany. Um, but I'm from the States. Yeah. And, um, God, I don't know. What do you want to know about me? I have a background in uh, sculpture and museum education. Um, but I do design work and installation art right now. And I'm Jeff, and I am coming to you live from Austin, Texas, where I've been stuck since South by Southwest got canceled. But normally I live in Berlin, Germany. And Jeff, my background is graphic design, moved to like product design and UX design. And I've been working in design education for about four or five years now. So do you, uh, Jeff, you said you, you do product design. Now, are you uh, primarily like web or app product design, or do you do like, like, physical um i don't know snuggies or something oh yeah no we stole that that word from industrial designers like i mean like digital <laughs> product design like, um basically design the team managing the design team that designs the digital classroom experience oh that's really cool for a boot camp so but, both of you do um both of you have a background at like art schools or art universities I mean, Hannah does hard for sure. Hannah does. Um, yeah, I did um, my undergrad at Mega in Baltimore, and then um, I did an art education master's at uh, U Austin. 
Oh, cool. Is that where you guys got the connection for the South by Southwest? Um, yeah. yeah, kind of. We both lived in Austin for a long time. I lived there for like seven years and um, uh, knew a bunch of people who, who like worked in that field. And yeah, so when we were like launching the, the Fountain Institute, we thought it would be a good uh, platform to, to broaden our scope before it got canceled. <laughs> And that also, was... we we waited tables together as any good creative person does on the yeah. side. Oh my that's god! How, that's how we Are you saying that artists sometimes have to work to support their craft? Not paid artists, poor artists, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've only ever made money off of being an artist. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm like you give yourself a title, and then you just start getting money, right? That works. Yeah, I think people don't realize how wealthy being an artist could really make you, especially in today's society. I mean, that's why I got into it, was the money. Same. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So yeah. can I ask you guys a hard-hitting question? I need to know all the facts. Is Austin as weird as they say it is? <laughs> the only thing weird about Austin is no one realizes they're an alcoholic. <laughs> oh. oh, God. That's that, not is that, that not true way. everywhere? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I read that somewhere on like a sign somewhere and I thought it was great. No, I, I don't think it's very weird anymore. I think it, it is weird compared to the rest of the Southern United States. And Hannah, feel free to chime in because you're not from the Southern United States. Yeah. But for us, Austin's like very different and weird. There's dog barking, sorry. And well, the thing is, yeah, it's not so weird now. So I've been to Austin one time and uh, somebody recommended. That me and my buddy, we were, we were there for a road trip. We were only there for like a night. And one of our uh, buddies recommended we go to that party street called like 6th Avenue or whatever. Yeah. Which was overwhelming. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it was it, it was what you, you would expect. It was a street of, of bars, right? And we went to one of these bars. I have, this is one of my favorite stories about Austin. We are just sitting there hanging out, having a drink. Things weren't as, you know getting wild yet but they were soon to be we would later find out but uh one of the bartenders was uh you know a conventionally attractive bartender and this one dude was was very clearly um trying to flirt but i noticed that this guy was holding in one hand he was double fisting a uh a red bull and then in the other hand um a muscle milk <laughs> and i was like wow this is it i'm really here in sixth oh. avenue that's what we call juxtaposition. <laughs> exactly. There's a high contrast between his arms. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think Austin used to be weirder. I think it's become pretty like mainstream and like a lot of major cities are now. But... There's a, there's some like old hippie vibes that are pretty weird, you know, that you sometimes run into. Like, you know, there was. What's that one guy who ran for office who was uh, insane? Oh, what's that guy's name? I don't remember. I remember he was would he sit a libertarian. A, was he the one yeah. who used to bike around with a thong? Yeah, he bike around in a uh, thong. And I, feel, I still think when he was running for for mayor, he would just sit in a little pool outside of the bars on Sixth Street, like a little kids' pool, and just hold a sign. You know, there was like shit like that happening a lot of times where vote, like, vote for me. Yeah, like weirdos just being like, I can fly my freak flag as high as possible because it's Austin. 
And now there's a lot of condos and flip flops and stuff like that. So, ah, but yeah, I just think it's kind of like an oasis in the middle of a lot of not like you know the red dot and the blue sea or no so you gotta be careful for when the shoe bees start coming in you know what's what's that a shoe bee a shoe bee is a maybe an obscure reference from the 90s cartoon show rocket power (laughs) it's someone who wears shoes at the beach which uh i'm i'm from florida and you cannot trust people who wear shoes to the beach I do that. I do that. I'm so sorry. You can't trust me. It's okay. It's okay. Um, I, I wasn't trusting you. I own sandals because I hate sandals and how they seem when people wear them all the time. So I just decided I didn't want to own them. But what about slides? They fall off too easily. I have very narrow feet. <laughs> me too, man. Wow. I knew that we had something more than just a connection. Well, I'm oh, also great. from the South. Mm. Technically, I'm sorry. Hey, you know what? I th- I am too. <laughs> I'm from Southern California. Wow. Oh, that's not really south though. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, yeah whoa, well, San whoa. Diego is weirdly like it. It has Texas vibes for some reason. I don't know. I've only been to Texas a little bit, but maybe I'm just I need to spend more time in Texas. But I got a little bit of a vibe for some reason. Hey, look, Renz loves barbecue and four wheeling as much as the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Mm. Don't tread on me. <laughs> wait so I, I also i have another question is is this like weird weird politician thing a thing in the south because i just watched the joe exotic thing and he ran he's from oklahoma yeah. which is pretty close to texas so is that a thing does that happen like every time there's an election in in austin or texas or wherever i feel like that's a thing for someone to go like um I'm just crazy enough to do it, and everyone being like, hell yeah, brother. <laughs> hell yeah, brother. <laughs> hell yeah. Yee-yee. Yeah, you can't really tell a guy that wears a, a, a bikini and sits in a kiddie pool what to do. It makes a lot of sense. No. Well, this is America. <laughs> Nor will he listen to the people who elected him, but, like, you know, that's not the point. Oh, he got elected. No, he didn't get elected. But I mean, Uh-oh. like, if he did, I really doubt he would be a good listener. Mm-hmm. Well, I imagine people like that's entire platform is like, I'm not going to listen to anybody. Do what you want. I do like that that approach. That's ultra libertarian is in like, I'm not going to show up to work if you elect me. <laughs> <laughs> that is hard. That's big politician energy. Yeah, it would be pretty uh, effective, I think, if if more of America was like that, where the politicians just didn't show up. I mean, in, in Berlin, they have the pirate party and the pirate party started off as a joke and they were just like basically trying to take seats just for the pure, I guess you'd call it performance art and it worked. And then they're a whole party and then they had to get kind of serious and figure out how to actually do things. And I just, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I want to party involve a lot of drinking rum and stealing things from from rich people i think i i I don't quote me here or record this of course but it's recorded so i'm gonna go ahead and say that i think they dressed up like pirates and they went like hardcore for this since we're high tech i'm gonna google it (laughs) then 
that's that's badass dude but you got to use the the tree planting search engine yeah ecosia tap it ecosia ecosia we talked about that i'm Just not like gonna saying lie. that word you guys did it all since uh last week i still use brave um if you guys are familiar with that web browser yeah okay no i'm on ask jeeves oh Damn, 90s for real. Are we all 90s kids? Nope. No. Well, wait, what does that mean? Born there or grew up there? Uh, you intook a lot of 90s content in your formative oh. years. Oh, definitely. Yeah. For sure. We've been running a 90s collage situation this weekend. And I just I saw that. Everyone who really follows the fountain. Also, as a '90s kid, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... the '90s had like some of the some of the coolest content. I think like spiked, uh, dyed bleached tips, and and long wallet chains were really big. I remember, Puka at least in the U.S., puka oh, yeah. shell necklaces, jinkos, jinkos. Yeah. I feel like that. That's a thing that if you. Or in art school now, you dress like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think art school clothes are, are getting 90s, uh, heavily 90s influence these days. Yeah. But the, the internet spin on it's getting pretty crazy too. Like, like so, yeah. so like goth has now adopted um, like anime orgasm faces as part of the aesthetic and like chokers, uh, like, like sex toys, just like when wearing. You say, when you say anime orgasm face, what, what? What do you mean by that? Uh, <laughs> open mouth, tongues out, oh, eyes okay. crossed, sort of okay. thing. <laughs> that is amazing. The, the official term is ahe gao. Mm-hmm. And so this yeah, is seen... purposely going for. Yeah, it's like it's really popular uh, with like college students now. I've seen, and then like TikTok people. I think it's called like e-girl and e-boy is oh, the yeah. aesthetic yeah mm. well i feel like That's... vaporwave is in a collision course with retro style yeah or something i don't know what's going on i wish i was some sort of clothesologist or something but we can only do so much so i think it's about layering you know you got you got to layer with things that smell bad from the thrift store like that's <laughs> essential, and then you color your hair. Like Billie Eilish, she's the archetype. She's definitely, sure. definitely. Things like the bad guy bad from the thrift store. What's the alternative? Single. Like they're wearing Abercrombie and Fitch, which that costs way too much money, and they smell like you know perfume cologne. Like that is not a good look that we brought. Yeah, for Gage and I in our in our college days, our our big inspiration was Macklemore's poppin' tags. We too shopped at the thrift store. It's very different, <laughs> very different personality though. I remember uh, f- f- like Hawaiian shirts being something that you could wear casually and formally when I was in college. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like were they up or did they have like, the ribbed white wife beater under them open? Well, well, I'm from the South, so I always have a ribbed white beater on, but um. It's uh like it's it was always the open, you keep it open and then you have like the white 
uh, crew neck on underneath it and then you know a nice fitted pair of jeans some vans or some docks on what do you mean by fitted (laughs) (laughs) i don't think fitted around in maybe fitted is like uh the closest you can get to tailored but you just have to like buy it from ross (laughs) dress for less all right well you know what (laughs) I got a question for the Fountain Institute in general. I'm sure. I'm how how has these uh, this uh this internet quarantine culture affected you? Do I would say it's really helped us to figure out a couple things. Like I think what was the meeting we had? We we met on Friday. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks to recommendation from y'all, we tried out this Discord thing, and we also did mural to do uh, like the business model canvas basically moving post-its around digitally and it worked out really really well i must say yeah, yeah it was actually easier almost than like when because we did one previously like a while back then it was like almost easier to do it in real life or like to do it on the digital platform than it was to do it in real life and like um, we have a space you know we have hannah's studio we'll go there and like we also have like sometimes we we'll work in my apartment and like we have we have space for this right but it just seems easier to kind of like open your laptop and join the meeting and like it's less exhausting for some some reason so and we also say that like we were we're moving into like workshops now and we were like deciding um for all this like whether to move into like in person or online um and the decision was kind of like made for us um, and it's actually been super like helpful too. I gotta say, I'm browsing the site and I'm digging these workshop titles. Um, <laughs> I see three right now. If yeah, if I I recommend if, to whoever's listening to visit thefountaininstitute.com. It's very pretty, and I'm scrolling down, and at the bottom, in the around the middle of the site, it has their workshops, one day workshops. There's three that I see so far in the front page, and they say take designs from useless to useful. Love it. This middle one's my favorite, art school dropout, a one-day workshop to really figure out, you know, your place in the art, what your creative pathway is. And then challenge like an artist, design like a strategist. See, these are all, like, this is like a class. This is like a real-life class. I I, I fuck with it. Yeah, those are like our three three directions we're feeling like for, for content, you know. So yeah. would you guys would you guys say that you're more of uh going in the realm of content creation or workshop leadership or like what what sort of hybrid are you looking at moving forward? It's an interesting question because of this uh meeting a couple days ago. But, but um yeah, I mean we are we kind of have using our content creation as like uh prototyping or like testing out uh, information that we want to then build into longer format um workshops or courses and stuff like that so kind of a combination of both i would say yeah that's that's something that we're looking at like i'm working for uh an online education company called career foundry and a lot of the stuff that they do is interesting but they very much split the product and the thing you learn the curriculum they split that from the marketing so, you know, like we'll have all these crazy cool YouTube videos, um, like 
on all kinds of subjects, but then they're separate from the videos you get when you take the course itself. And there's like two teams, right? You know, of like 10 people each. And I was thought it was a bit strange that like the product is so separate from the marketing. So that's something we wanted to try and change. And we also think that workshops are an excellent way to get feedback on anything, you know, like it, Instagram is nice as well. And if you try a piece of content, you get likes, shares and comments and stuff, but workshops are really excellent because you can ask them at the end of it. They often want to stay and talk about their experience because it's their experience suddenly. So we want to use that kind of thing to develop content that's a little bit better. That's cool. Like, so, so do you, do you have like a specific um, person in mind who, who is joining these workshops or, or are, are your workshops designed differently for a different, you know, a different type of person who wants to learn something? Yeah, that's a little something we've been talking a bit, quite a lot of, about recently. Like, I think that we've always been interested in the person that is new to design because there's a lot of things that happen when you're new to design that we don't want to lose, which is like the fact that you embrace both art and design. Um, maybe, Hannah, you could talk a little bit about that because that's something we've been finding really interesting. Yeah, I would say that like, we um, kind of have, in a sense, like two ideal like, partners. Like you, like people that were interested in or users to use those terms. Um, but yeah, because I think it's a lot about like this combination of art and design and how a lot of people want to separate the two and how um, we're kind of thinking more about how they're similar and how, how you can like kind of use uh, the base of art to like further yourself in design and or like other fields as well. So, so um, with our whole about when it's thinking about like maybe people who are, are changers or upskilling um, from other like design fields that maybe need to refresher in this stuff or thinking about it from um yeah if they're completely changing career maybe they don't have the basis of like the formal elements of art and design but also thinking about how to like translate a large concept to uh, a visual field which I think is, you know, what I learned a lot in undergrad and what I think is helpful for a variety of people. Um, so those are kind of like what are, we're thinking about as like core ideal users of like the courses and stuff. Yeah, right, you right. see a lot of people that are taking like a UI design crash course or boot camp or something, and they just jump right into making UI design, but they have no idea how to do balance. They don't understand the elements and the principles. They don't understand any of the theory behind visual you know design whatsoever so that's that's something that art school dropout really helps to solve that problem i think where you like want a job in design but oftentimes you don't give yourself the time to get a good you know foundation well listen i i would like you know if if someone like me were to want to um take this course can i identify as an art school dropout even though i graduated is that, <laughs> is that a thing um. Yeah, I think is you know what we're learning is the more that we talk to people who are interested in their content is that like um, people who we weren't expecting to be interested are too. So, um, which which makes sense because um, me and Hannah talked a lot at the beginning about how you know design thinking is such a thing, but there's really not such a, no such thing as art thinking. Like no one tries to teach artistic methods to non-artists. You know, and like, right. I think that's something that can be done as well. 
I think yeah. part of that's the stigma uh like around being an artist uh, you know you see yeah. when you see like artists represented on tv and movies it's like we're aloof and kind of dumb but brilliant by accident which i think is just like uh such a discredit to to like talented artists and designers i've met and, and like most of the designers i've met like their background is in art um mm -hmm. and they're really talented designers you know like making stuff that ha that realistically doesn't need an artistic hand in it um but their artistic hand really drives it forward and they're definitely not aloof like they're really clean and uh focused <laughs> yeah well i See, think it's also what... like the difference of like art is just visual as well and that like the creative process like like is like it's more about like the concept and idea as well and like how do you translate that to a visual field but it doesn't have to be like you don't have to translate it to a visual field um and so i think that's like a part of like art education i'm like interested in is like how do you like teach that and how do you talk about that in a, like a way that kind of really mystifies it to larger population yeah i agree with that and and i i i agree because of what i know about alternative methods of learning you know some people they say some people learn better kinesthetically some people learn better visually some people learn yeah. better when 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 they do it themselves and that's what i you know it's very clear to see that from these workshops and actually i also it, it's a little bit of a revelation to me like there's tons of people out there with skills that they gain already from from just their own personal work and what they see maybe they watch some youtube videos which i personally find to be great ways to learn random stuff but then what's missing from those you know that that selection of random skills is is that one piece that ties it all together and to me that's from what i understand that's a little bit of what you all are doing is teaching the professional language and professional practice if you will of moving forward with whatever this this independent creator artist wants to do yeah yeah that, there's there's some interesting things in there especially learning styles that we talked about quite a bit which are kind of seen as as like not even true these days like as something from the 50s and 60s but everyone can learn through visual auditory kinesthetic but i think a lot of creative people a lot of artists and designers have a have a real strong visual like way of learning it's easier for them to learn visually um but i think it's also like not the full story i think kinesthetic is super important like and everyone needs a little bit of kinesthetic you know so it's like the the workshop approaches a lot of the things we're thinking also comes off what you know my company tries to do or you know different different ways that hannah's taught before um, and i think the art school dropout is our perfect like test product to figure out you know what the what the audience is exactly like not just you know a couple adjectives and a couple of things but like really know what they want and need and you know are they beginners are they intermediate are they advanced it's kind of the stage we're at right now like really trying to feel out like what the audience needs with this type of that type of learning yeah and i think another thing that is like important in what we're talking about is like the idea of interaction too and that like there, there's a human element into this as well um, because one of the things that we're really like interested in too is like how, how do you facilitate action in a learning environment as well? Because um, with online learning, like for sure, the like you know we all learn something. Most people learn something from like a YouTube video, but it's like you also have to like actually do that thing to learn it. And so, like, you can kind of combine them and have um, the action in 
in that, like, in the process of that as well. Like, yeah let's like learn create share you know that's that's the three things you need to do to really get something um so one thing that i'm curious about that you guys kind of started to touch on uh, what do you consider or where do you consider like the divergence between design and art to be <laughs> we've talked about this quite a bit like, I think that the, the conversation it started was everyone says, what is art? But people don't often say, what is design? Um, and what are, what are the differences? Like that, that conversation started, I think that's a super interesting conversation. But I think when I, when, when Hannah moved back to Berlin, I think I was, or moved to Berlin when I was there, like we, we kind of hadn't been talking as much. And I guess it'd been a couple of years and our like kind of career paths were kind of going apart. And then they were started starting to come together. Um, and we were starting to do the same types of work in design. And I think talking to Hannah a lot about like, you know, her background was very much art uh, background, mine's very much design. And I think we talk a lot about how, as you start the career, as you're, as you're in school, you're pretty much in the same building often, you know, like the design schools and the art school, it's all the same. And then as you start to progress in your career, they really diverge and more of a sense that like, I think they diverge because they have a different way of seeing the world, but the things that they're doing aren't very different. <laughs> they just sort of, they want to be seen differently. And there's a huge move for designers to become more like businessmen. And with if designers are associated with artists, that's the least like a businessman, you know? So they try and distance themselves, I think. Um, but we're actually talking a lot about how they can come together and how we see it happening a lot. Yeah, I think it's also um, interesting to think about like, the purpose, or like I think that I don't not purpose, but like one way I've thought about it, or the conversations we've had, is like design answers questions, as art like poses questions. Yeah. Um, and so, which is you know not always true, but thinking about how like uh, a lot of times it has to like have this end product that like you know like solves a problem or or answers a question, while like doesn't necessarily have that requirement that it has to answer something or it has to like come full circle in a way it can be open-ended question okay i'm curious as to how you both kind of decided and committed to this idea of providing this type of education in in this type of format um because because this is a, you know it's a, it's a pretty i i would say it's both necessary and a unique thing to to start a project about. It's not easy to do that, and I commend you both for for taking that on. So I'm I'm just curious as to where the inspiration came from. Um. Well, it's been it's been a long time coming. In a sense, uh, like where we are now, we kind of conversations around this, um, like over a year ago, and it's taken a lot of different forms over the year. Um, and, and it's only been, I would say, in the last few months or like last like four or six months or something like that, that it feels that it's really solidified um, into where we are now. And so I think it really just came from like kind of having like open conversations about like what we're interested in and like where they overlap and like just having a lot of conversations about um, this to kind of build down like where it is that makes sense and where 
this kind of comes from. So like, as like the, the two of us, that's where it comes from. But I, like personally, I um, have always really been interested in like our education. Um, I, I like say that kind of like you know your families, like police officers, doctors, or like whatever. So my family like an educator. And um, so it's kind of just been something I've always done. And I also like came or like, growing up I had that dyslexia. It's so, like art was always kind of like my relief, like my way I felt like built confidence in um, in like my educational path. And so I think that like I've always kind of wanted to uh, run in that and get to like a broader audience. Um, and that's why I went into museum education and worked there for a few years. Um, but then wasn't such a huge fan of the bureaucracy there. And so left. Um, and it was actually this project that me and Jeff started that like I kind of like remembered that that was like something I was interested in and passionate about. Yeah, I think also I I'm I have been we are back everybody guess what craig craig is you know we might be pushing craig a little too hard (laughs) so um Sorry for for the delay, but we were just talking about how uh, the Fountain Institute was live and doing doing a really cool webinar. We're talking about live streaming educational things right now. Yeah, so. that was our that was our pre South by practice round. We did a uh, a meetup in Berlin, and they canceled it, so we decided to do it online, and that was an interesting learning experience. Yeah. So what was what was going to be the uh, the content of the South by uh, talk you guys are going to give? Well, it was called the UX of learning online in 2020, and as we were talking about before, it's a lot of the conversations we had when me and Hannah kind of first came together and realized how much of an educational background we each had. You know, because like Hannah's had it all her life, right? You've you've been in education for a long time, and I've been in it about four years and we were basically coming at it from an artist background and designer background, but also doing design, um, but with a lot of education. Um, and then I'm, I'm doing UX design for an online school. So I'm always looking at like, what is the user experience of taking an online course? And we've taken a lot of courses and we're also like knowing, seeing what we don't want to do basically and what we're seeing emerges trends. And yeah, Hannah, do you want anything more to the like overall arching theme of the talk. Um, yeah, I mean, we're also talking about like we see it in the future, and like a big theme throughout it was like technology as well. And we were saying yeah. how like access, like accessibility to the technology is really important, but it's not, not like the only thing. You can't just provide access to people. You also have to like provide um, like a structure and. And the like human um we were also saying like human centered education so kind of looking at like what are the different elements of online courses that can be incorporated with like, a human interaction part of it um 
looking at like a little bit of the timing of that, but then also thinking about um, a little bit what we were talking about before, how like people are shifting from creation um, to uh, to online courses, to like webinars and workshops, and how the um, it doesn't because of technology we don't need to be like a big university or a big company to be able to provide these um uh services to people anymore but like there like so there's like a lot of um there's a couple like bigger design like firms or designers who who've had success and have transitioned into like the education route of it but like they aren't necessarily incorporating human element into it and so it is just like a access to videos or something like that and so yeah so bad yeah and so <laughs> kind, of, kind of talk about that a little bit and how we see like the future being able to kind of combine these and what that might look like so do you have any advice for people that are out there looking for online educational platforms what do we not want to go into i love that question like the don'ts the don'ts I mean, I think that there's some, sorry, go ahead. Anna. No, you that, that there's like a certain amount of human interactions that you want to look for. But I think the biggest one to start off with is somebody will actually review your work and give you feedback. And ideally, they're an expert. Yeah, I think like also it's about looking, sometimes it's actually hard to figure out like what the course actually entails. Like it's yeah. just videos. Or is there like, like, like they say, there's like community spaces, and they're like, usually it's just like Slack group. But like, is that Slack group like actually active? Are people really like responding in there and like giving feedback? Um, and so like the big, biggest thing is like doing your research on it and figuring out like what, um, what is actually happening, of course. Which is interesting to talk about doing research because an idea me and Hannah had at one point was like. A company that would go through these online courses and tell you whether they were good or not because what what we found is people have a very low bar for education um one of our biggest pet peeves i think is some of the companies that basically use online course quote unquote is really just a paywall for content and that's it you just get access to videos which is kind of like 2012 that was a big thing with the massive open online courses and i think we all found that there's just not enough there to motivate you. But the thing is, you feel bad when you can't get through a course like that. And you go, oh, something's wrong with me, never realizing that it's a poorly designed course with no real way to get through it, except just like, you know, huge amounts of like motivation and perhaps a certain type of learner, you know, like um, a lot of the yeah. stuff we talk about in our talk is our, our path to this. So yeah, like me and Hannah have a pretty unique path towards, towards knowing kind of non-traditional learning routes. And so I think we really identify with the non-traditional learner. And what's interesting today is that, you know, because there's so many different ways to learn, the non-traditional learner can become a traditional learner, but you just have to be very careful about the programs you're paying for. Have y'all um, ever seen or uh, tried the those master class things that are all over mm -hmm. the internet? I no. haven't. I mean, I'm curious about them because yeah. They're, like yeah, they're for sure marketing everywhere. Um, but 
I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I haven't looked into him really. My gut is that like again, probably just a bunch of videos, which I'm not saying like videos aren't helpful and you can't like learn from them, but like I guess it, like you also have to think about like what it is that you want out of like like what are you actually trying to get out of this course? Are you like is it something that you're like, just interested in? And then it would like interesting to find more information on it, or like is it some like a skill or like process that you really need in like to boost your career or to like transition you from like one place in your life to another um yeah that's so important this like real world application you know like that's that's like adult learning theory one-on-one is that the motivation does come from inside they don't need to be told what to do or made what to do by some teacher you know but like it has to directly lead to something in the in the real world that will improve their life and if, if a bunch of videos suggest that you do some homework um it can lead to real-world application if you're if you're motivated enough and you specifically need that learning to get a promotion, for instance. I think you're more likely to finish the course, so it's it's possible you can do it without an instructor's guidance. But most people they they need like they need something with um, feedback from someone who's more advanced than them. They need to enrich their mental model, so they can't just all they get from a video is one perspective. They need a second perspective, and probably even more than that, they need multiple perspectives, just to kind of understand what's happening you know when they're first starting to apply ideas i would yeah yeah what was that sorry gage i was gonna say i agree completely and i think that um the reason why for example renz brings up his animation forum a lot was Mm -hmm. effective despite not having like an overarching you know teacher sort of figure is that at the very least you had peers with you which um learning software or like learning platforms like linda or you know like the smaller online education courses that are as you say like the just videos with like a how-to underneath it like just it just doesn't offer that conversation mm-hmm. and like uh, community problem solving that i think is is what still keeps like social learning you know number one like the best way to do it on top of everything else yeah i mean at I- minimum you write about it and share it right there's something yeah exactly i I would just be super mad if um i paid big bucks to have gordon ramsay teach me how to cook and it's just like one of his like you know master chef or something (laughs) but but except i'm paying for it for him just like talk to somebody who's one of them what if he's actually sitting there like you pay and then you look he's sitting there like waiting bored in front of his webcam he's like oh god finally Oh my god, that would be hilarious. They've trapped me here. Help. So, yeah, I can um, almost guarantee you those those master classes don't have any real teacher interactions. Yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> Definitely not. But what do you guys think so right now, like with, with the whole uh, you know, big illness thing going on, a lot of colleges are doing the online like Zoom meetings as as education. And in particular, the one I'm thinking of is like Micah in Baltimore has you know, a bunch of art classes doing online Zoom meetings and they're not refunding people's tuition. They're saying you're getting the same quality of education. Uh, so we're not going to refund your tuition for that. What do you guys think of, of that situation? Oof. Um, I mean, I was thinking about that because a good friend of mine teaches fiber classes in, um, in Detroit. And I was asking her, like, what she's doing with her class is like the rest of the semester so i think how does that work in some classes 
can transition into like on the platform much easier. Like there's not a physical aspect to it. Like you don't need facilities or you don't need, I don't know, to get supplies, stuff like that. Um, and so, but she was saying like, for her, it was working because of like, it was farther enough in the semester that the, the projects that they were working on, they like already had in their houses. So like it was able to like fulfill it. And also she was saying that like, you know, you also have to be aware of like what the circumstances is, where we are. And so like her, her expectations in a way may have changed a little bit too. Like we like, have to be realistic about what the situation is. Um, but like I'm thinking about it from like, like it with me. And I mean, I don't know. Like I'm trying to think of like when I was in Africa and this happened to me, like I'd be fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. There's definitely a value. Even. There's like a value system to it, right? Like if 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 you're just forced to watch a video about a training video or something, that's like a pretty low amount of attention you'll give it. If you're doing a, a video cast with a bunch of people, there's a bit of social kind of guilt to pay a bit more attention. And when you're in person, there's even more social guilt to like pay attention, watch about your body language. So I think it's there's like a value ascribed to these things, which kind of flies in the face of it not being cheaper or something, you know, if it's online. Yeah, I think so too. But uh, my my main concern, or um, maybe this is the libertarian in me thinking, is that at this point, why wouldn't, if, if Micah can have the gall to say that this education of Zoom online meetings that started before halfway through the semester is just as valuable as, you know, you know, $15,000 worth of education, why wouldn't these students just pay these teachers directly? I mean, I think that my guess is that the, like they are just doing like, what they can at the moment because it's like, you know, we don't have like, access to the people and it's not, like, I, get, like, I don't see how they can like get out of it in a way like you have to do what you can do in the situation but like there's no way that somebody can believe the same value of education like a zoom call versus like a six hour studio session mm -hmm. um. <laughs> 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 <In the doggy. laughs> i think the dog is confused I mean, I it's, hope that this is this is a, continues because like work for, working from home has been seen as second class citizen to working in the office, and there's no reason for that. So I think this is a good step towards saying, okay, distance learning, distance working is the same as in person. I think that I think that for for a lot of jobs, it is the same. I also worry that. I worry for people who are going to become redundant if if that becomes the case and like their job security. But I, I agree with you that it's effective. What do you mean by redundant? In um, well, if 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 offices find that, uh, you know, people working remotely is just as effective as people showing up, then they don't need unpaid interns to bring them coffee. Or, for example, they can cut uh, janitorial staff. Okay. okay. They, yeah, things like that. They're putting more of like, the, like their like uh, uh, internal costs 
on the um, on the worker then too. Yeah. I think it'll be somewhere in the middle. Like my, my company has talked for a long time about becoming an all remote company since we have mentors and tutors for the students and the, and the students and the mentors and the tutors, they're from all over the world. You know, like they get paired with these mentor and hopefully they're in the same time zone. But other than that, that there, there makes no difference where they are. But our company is is in Berlin and we've talked about going, okay, well, we, we need to expand to a new office space. But with, with this happening, with the coronavirus quarantine, I think we're all realizing that we could keep the same office and let everyone work remote any day they wanted. And then they would have, they would purchase less real estate. And I think that's going to be a huge motivator because it really comes down to the money. And if like a CEO can save money by going all remote, I think you'll find a lot more like motivation to do it. Oh, I agree. I agree completely. I mean, my mom works for a education company that teaches English to Chinese people and she's like in Florida. So like her entire company is all remote from what I understand. Um, and I'm sure that a lot of companies will realize, for example, like my, my girlfriend is a designer and the company she works for, everyone in, in her department is working remotely. And it's as if, you know, they're getting the same amount of work done as if they, they were in the office and their campus is huge. So like, I'm sure that that's a big motivator. You mentioned um, cutting out the middleman. Did you mean like they don't need to go through MICA? They can just access the teacher? Yeah, I mean, if if Micah can say that they can't refund tuition because they already spent the money and that this is the same education, then why? what would prevent kids from just reaching out to these teachers and saying, hey, like, I'd rather give you uh, $30,000 a semester to teach me if this is really the same education. But I mean, it's it's not like Micah spent the money because they have an expansion plan and like as most nonprofits in that industry I mean, I work for a nonprofit and like they do have capital expenditures to make more money. Um, but like that's their claim is that they're getting the same education. So why not cut out the middleman? The same could be said about an agency. You know, if you're a designer working for an agency, you're doing work for a client. But for some reason, you get paid by this agency who gets paid by the client. This is middleman. Right. And I think the same could be said about education. Like I think what's what's the value there is there's this brand right like micah is a brand like a lot of the most powerful education in the world is a brand you know it's about how you feel about it maybe they have like more money in their trust and they have trusted alumni but a lot of it's the brand you know so i think it's interesting that you've already seen a lot of agencies cut that out i think you might see a lot of educational institutions cut that out like why do we need to pay micah when i have one one professor i'm taking this course for and that's the only thing i care about is this one professor if that professor offered you know online workshops that you can access like would you need to go through micah aside for the receipt probably not or i'm sorry the degree the diploma yeah yeah because i was gonna say like there's two big things there like one is like the like official certifications but also like uh, for me like i was thinking about a lot when i was like transitioned into freelance work and like i had to realize how much of like the like backside of stuff that i had to do that i wouldn't have to do in like if i was in an agency and so it's like if you're not the kind of person who wants to deal with invoicing and like bookkeeping like accounting and like you know all the other stuff that you can do that's like outside of like working um the actual work 
work, like, keep your business running, then, like, if that's not what you're into, then, like, you want to go, then you want like, stay within an agency. There's, like, security there and like, a whole bunch of different things. So if you're, like, thinking about that, like, comparison, like, the advantage of not just, like, going directly to, like, the professor is, like, you know, you don't have to set things up. You're just kind of, like, letting a larger organization deal with that for you. And I'm sure you guys are are seeing. I, I I appreciate your perspective because I know that you guys have to both take on the marketing and the education, and I'm sure that that is uh, difficult. Um, like if you were to work for Micah, for example, you know that marketing would be taken care of for you. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that that art schools or design schools uh, would have an advantage in decentralizing in that like our legitimacy as creators and like our ability to demonstrate our skills is not really so dependent on our diploma as it is dependent on our portfolio. So mm -hmm. like, for example, uh, if, if I were to take two years of Fountain Institute classes or like workshops and come out with a really good portfolio and show someone, maybe my MICA diploma would get me in the door. But if it was like stuff I learned from you guys, that would both lend legitimacy to myself and to you as an institution or as decentralized educators or whatever. Yeah, definitely. That's why we're looking at designers because it's really, um, you know, like I hire designers and I do not care where they went to school at all. I want to know where they worked last. I want to know what their portfolio looks like. Like, so in, in the design world, it's very much employment because education can't keep up with the things you're learning on the job. You learn on the job so quickly about, you know, this tool or that tool and how to hook it up to this one and, and what the users are thinking. And, and these things you, you don't learn in school. I, I, I'm not going to learn what, you know, adult edu uh, people who are trying to change their careers, uh, what that what that user base is like. I'm not going to learn that in school. I'm also not going to learn um, Figma in time to graduate and, and learn it because like, <laughs> like they taught me Adobe Illustrator, you know, and they should have taught me probably more cutting edge tool. I mean, I graduated in 2009. They should have taught me some Photoshop or some web design, but I went to graphic design school and got like zero digital training. So like, you know, that was way behind. I, and I, when I got out, I had to learn on YouTube. Like we were talking about this last time. Like, you know, it's, it doesn't seem to even keep up with things. Yeah, I think that, like, like what I'm saying, the really important part too is like this gap that like the traditional educational system can't fill that like kind of these more like less traditional um and like, what we're trying to do is like filling in that gap and seeing these areas um and so it's not like, like necessarily i don't think it always has to be like and or like it also can be like a combination of things as well um yeah and and so uh being able to like keep up with what's going on and what like is in like the stratosphere like, this technology and it's like we're not I mean, we're personally not interested in like skill teaching like skills like a program or something like that but um but like how, how do you use this program in your like daily life maybe it could be something they're interested in how do you utilize things like figma and mural and these other like technologies and, and programs that like any process Right, that's a big deal to me from what I'm hearing. Uh, my major um, thought in this is how much uh, not only the people providing the education have to be, you know, cutting edge, 
in that regard, but also the employers need to be accepting, like Jeff here, who doesn't really care about you know all of those accolades in your resume. He wants to see you know the 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 evidence that you can actually do the job that needs to be done. And to me, you know, sometimes a piece of paper and uh, does doesn't really describe that as well as you know getting in there and seeing what this person can really achieve. And that that's. That makes a lot of sense with what you all are doing with the Fountain Institute. I think something that would um, was interesting too in my mind is like, like, how do you change we talked about? Is like, how do you change like the system of education, like the perspective, the structure of like people's expectation of like the system as well? So, like, how do you let like how do like bosses and CEOs and business people and like start to accept that that like that Type of education, that type of learning is like instrumental, fundamental, like the different like, layers that like, come to that as well. Right. Yeah, it's interesting to look at like what's the difference between me um, getting hired or not, or me getting a promotion or not. And there's only like a few things that you can use as leverage. You know, there's like maybe your portfolio piece, maybe a project you did at work, maybe a, a piece you wrote, a blog post, or Maybe it's your receipt from your university or you know, your training, um, or you know maybe it's some sort of union you're in. You know, like there's a lot of things you can use to leverage yourself to do better. But I think overall, we'd like to see design leverage itself to become more. Um, and I think we see it as really good proving ground because it's kind of decentralized already. It's a lot of it is self-taught. A lot of it is, you know, industry insights. So I think there's no reason that we can't teach like conceptually how to do it. Um, and, and get them enough of a head start. So before yeah. we get before we get too deep, I just want everyone to know that we're almost to our hour mark. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what, what were you saying? Sorry, if, Gage. If you guys have have time, I'd like to stay on for at least like another twenty more minutes, if that's all right with everyone. Sure. Yeah, works me. Oh, Let's do it. And lady. I <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm so I'm sorry, lady. Um, I I think that it's it's really I think that what you guys are trying to do is really interesting. Um, design and and that your focus is on creative thinking uh, over skills. Um, I think is is a little ahead of the curve for for especially for design schools. Um, one one thing that I'm interested in hearing your opinion about is: Do you think that in the way that uh, artists and designers have portfolios that we'll start to see sort of, especially with documentation being so easy now, like we'll start to see more other industries adopting, you know, accepting a portfolio. Like if you're, for example, like a, a health and fitness trainer, you know, you could have like pictures of people you've trained like before and after when you apply for a gym. And would that, in your opinion, kind of upset the legitimacy of like the old system which is all right you got a diploma from x school and y degree uh yeah. you're obviously qualified yeah i mean i, I talked a lot about this and read and re wrote a lot about this um we just did a webinar recently um for a career foundry about you know what does it take to have a good ux portfolio which is super interesting because UX design is not about aesthetics. It's about the functioning, how useful was it, right? But we still have to have portfolios as UX designers. And I personally don't like that necessarily. Like I like having, I like the ideas of portfolios when I've 
when I've got a good one. But when I don't have a good one, I hate <laughs> that like pressure. It just feels like another weight of capitalism to have to like prove like specifically that I have done what the job requires rather than you just being like, oh yeah, you say you're a lawyer. I, I agree you're a lawyer here. You know, like I don't necessarily think it's a good thing that we're required to have portfolios. Um, it's a bit of a personal opinion, but UX designers, I think what we try and do is adapt the traditional artist expectations for a portfolio. And what we do is try and tell a good story about like how we ran the project. What did we learn? Um, you know, a story about ourselves. Why do we uh, make sense as a UX designer? You know, what's our path? So, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's nice. And I think people have figured out good ways to do that. And I think it's really, it's definitely possible to have a really good UX portfolio that, that wouldn't work for an illustrator or an artist, right? It's a very different style. So we've adapted in that way. But I'm just not sure that's a good thing. You know, I, I kind of wish people would just trust workers for the value they bring instead of requiring another level. That being said, when I'm hiring designers, it's really nice because I can just, I can scan a portfolio in like 30 seconds and I can tell what's going on with that person, you know, like proofed, you know. Do you think that there need to be some requirements that need to be shared also for people who want to improve their hiring practice? Like what if, what if I wanted to be like you, Jeff, and I wanted to be able to scan a portfolio? Um, are there resources like that for hiring managers or do you think there should be if there aren't? I don't know, actually. That's a good, that's a good question. Cause I, I think it, I think it comes from being on the other, other side of the table. And then eventually you become the one who's hiring and you've already been on that side and you kind of know what was required of you before, but that, you know, that might've changed. Cause oftentimes that, that path from one side of the table to the other takes like five to six years or so. And I, I think that is probably something that that needs to be more educated like i think it the industry changes so much and um you know like me and hannah are constantly talking about the requirements for 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 designers these days and the, the things they need to know and like a lot of it's not a lot of it's not really conceptual it's like oh can you use this tool this tool this tool this tool you know you got that like that meter thing people do on their report their resume which i hate so much so. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not good at never do that Never yeah, do they that. They somehow figured out their experience points. They're like they're a Pokemon or something. Yeah. Like, how do you? Come on. Wait. Can you can you explain that to me? The uh, the metered thing, like like a pie chart with like, their skill level. Like bar graph. No. Um, yeah. Like Pokemon. <laughs> Literally like <laughs> HP points. Yeah. I saw that 60% for the first time. Sixty percent UX. Yeah. yeah I'm, like, I'm like sixty percent like capable in Photoshop or something. You know, and they'll say do that for all the different programs they know. But the first thing you do is look at the ones they're low in, and you don't yeah, even exactly. look at the ones they're good in. That's the that's the problem. They're like doxing themselves. Yeah. Damn. If like wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't I remember, do that. <laughs> I was like, uh, I was like, when I first started doing freelance work, I needed a new resume and I looked up designer resumes and like that system was on like almost every single designer like resume, you know, whatever uh, sample or example that I saw. Mm -hmm. And I was like, is this really how people want to present themselves? But I, I thought it was, I thought that was in vogue. I didn't know it wasn't cool. I think they're trying to like, visualize information, you know, but yeah. I don't think people yeah. really thought about how, how that was gonna like actually like, highlight what they're not good at 
I have an idea for a template for a design portfolio. Get this, everyone. Just follow me um, if you can. A <laughs> blank, a blank document, and we can sell it. You know, for the for big money, and it's just a blank document. It's perfect for a designer. As in, if they don't need to prove. Yeah, just just a blank one. There's no template. It's just what I'm gonna call it. <laughs> the conceptual designer. You should try that and then let us know how it goes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think we could put it up for like nine bucks, right? We'll have a big watermark if they don't pay the nine dollars. You can just do like Chris Chris Doe the future and like charge like seventy-five dollars for it and have a product page with like four times the amount of content that's actually in the thing, and then basically you just access the document. Damn. <laughs> this is highway highway robbery. Me and Hannah were talking about this. As I say, let's not really feel drunk. Yeah. <laughs> I hope Chris do is you, listening. Do you guys have um like like inner beefs with with designers that you see that are in your field? Educators. Like soul beefs. Educators. <laughs> or designers who are yeah. not the educators for sure. Uh, oh no! I is mean, that us? What, no. <laughs> Yeah, but we're not designers, though. We're barely artists. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does, don't get I don't me started. There's certain, trends, there's certain trends that are like out there in the social media platform with like people who are trying to quote unquote educate other people, but, but like they're really doing like they're not. It's just marketing, and it's like, and they're not really providing content, and they're copying each other. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but yes, to you. Short answer to your question: Yes, there are people there. I mean, anytime someone uses the word design thinking, I die a little bit inside. Oh man, how do you guys feel about the phrase uh, "social designer"? I don't know. I've never heard that. Never heard that. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's it's a it's like so they have like a grad program at a lot of schools in the U.S. I think Micah had the first one, and it's called like social design thinking, where uh, it, it's about thinking about how people function from what i understand mm. like sociology yeah see that's what i first thought when i heard it but i guess it's it's within the realm of design it sounds a bit so, like systems design strategic yeah. design yeah we're, we're big fans of strategic design because that's where we you asked earlier where art and design diverge i think where they converge again is at something like strategic design it's the idea that you try and design not just a product or a service, but the context around it, which is basically trying to um, imbue meaning into a design product, which is so similar than, to what conceptual artists do. Yeah, I would agree. I, I definitely think that um, that is, at least on the art side, like where the power of art comes from is, is taking into account the, the context of it. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and like thinking about the larger structure and like the system around that larger structure and maybe like like do you want to like change that structure or are you trying to make commentary on it and like like really looking at it from a like yeah the larger perspective i just think artists know how to play with so many more variables designers get a bit uh too tunnel visioned i think well a big like, aspect of being an artist is like uh bullshit <laughs> Yeah, I think the designers got that down pretty well. <laughs> oh yeah. 
You know, I used to like, I think um, Hannah's really helped me to embrace the things that are actually artistic um, in roots and design and, and things I didn't realize, you know, like we talk a lot about like, um, you know, feedback sessions. And she's like, yeah, that's called a critique, idiot. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like we just try and call it a different thing. But I was so, you know, up the ass of the design world because um, I was just so all about it. And I loved it. And then, you know, me and Hannah will have conversations and it's really balancing. And I think that's something we're putting as a part of maybe the, the methods of Fountain Institute is that when you combine art and design, you come away with a much, much better like result. I don't know, man. To me, um, your your skill as a designer depends on how well you can use parallax in your website. <laughs> <laughs> parallax sounds like some monster that comes out of the sand. Yeah. <laughs> or a portal. Yeah. It pops out of your computer and steals your design energy. The design uh, so for for anybody that doesn't know what parallax is if you go to the mac or apple website and you scroll it's that animation that plays when you scroll and it interacts as you interact with the website or it could be just an image that kind of stays in place and there's a window that it's hard to describe but i'm sure you'll know what i'm talking about if it's you like two uh, layers that are going it. at different like speeds and the one's like moving in front of the other one faster it goes together Does this is going to sound this is going to sound weird, but I, I saw Parallax IRL the other day. I was on a hike, and there was two clouds converging on each other, two cloud patterns, and one was going faster than the other, and it was so dizzying. I was like, oh, my God, that's Parallax in real life. I'm not going to yeah, lie. Not... I thought it was cool the first time I saw it. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was, it was dope, especially when I was on uh, Adobe Spark, where they have prefabricated web pages and i could just turn it on that was great i didn't have to code shit prefabricated i love that yeah oh yeah that's a little uh manufacturing term you know <laughs> a little something, something for for the real heads out here uh do you guys think that it's important to know how to draw as a designer what do you mean by draw though that's a that's a that's i'm curious like do you mean draw well or un like there's a lot of different ways to draw as a designer? Like the, the ability to, to, well, why don't you just answer with what your concept of drawing is? I think the ability to think with your hand is important, um, but not necessarily making neat, perfect sketches. Like I think that could actually get in the way sometimes, especially for a UX designer. One of my favorite pictures on the Fountain Institute website is one of the first ones where Hannah is using the computer upside down as a <laughs> makeshift light box. I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I looked a little closer. I was like, oh, look at that. Yeah. That wasn't our first picture now, was it, Hannah? No, it wasn't. We actually posted one before that, but it got taken down within like three seconds of us posting. Oh god, that because happened. Why, yeah. Hannah? Because I have a, a studio person across the hall from me is an illustrator, and he has a series of penis illustrations, and I have like four of them on my window, and so uh, they, I think they, we got taken down for root, like because there was pictures of penises in there. That happened to us too. Actually, <laughs> on Instagram. 
Lorenz did an amazing illustration of a of of the statue of David, and I guess the the drawing of the dick was too 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 effective. Yeah, it was too realistic. It's just disrespectful to art. (laughs) And that's what it's about. You couldn't post nudity if it was like painting or drawing. Like I thought that that was fine on Instagram. Like people like painting like paintings with like teeth. Well, now yeah. I'm offended because apparently my drawing isn't, you know, artistic enough. They thought it was yeah. too real, dude. Too realistic. Yeah. They said they look just like mine. <laughs> um, I wonder who had to train that algorithm. I do not feel, <laughs> I feel bad for them. Are you kidding me? That sounds like a dream job. <laughs> Find the dick in this picture. Somebody did that. Someone got paid a lot of money. So I don't know that much about like, I don't know, I guess the what's the phrase machine learning or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but is that what they would need to do is like to teach an algorithm to find dicks and pictures? You'd have to go through and like say, this is a dick, this isn't. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you have to feed it a data set. That... Of dicks? <laughs> yeah. <that it> <laughs> Fuck. That's awesome. Oh. oh no! Yeah, I mean, like, that was probably somebody's job. Oh man, I I really wish it's like a like a a freelance sort of guy that goes to different companies and he's like an expert. Like, yeah, I can teach a program how to see dicks. <laughs> it's like a vigilante type of character. Well, no, maybe real. The digital. Maybe they thing. they trained it with David. Maybe that's what happened. Oh, with just David. Yeah. So you were the one that short-circuited it mm. there was well, definitely an intern at facebook and they were like we need you to find as many dick pictures as possible <laughs> <laughs> you could just join that that intern could just join like a dating app then yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh so before we wrap up, can I uh, get some permissions from you guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some, some kooky sound effects and music in this. Is that all right with you? Fine with me. All right. Fine with me. And I need I'm... your social security number and your mother's maiden names, too. And you can just DM that to me. <laughs> <laughs> just to gauge. I will never give you Miss Ackland shit. <laughs> it's been you, a it's been oh i'm sorry do you do, go that, on. do you do that yourself do you do all your editing yourself for the thing how does that how does that process go well rens normally will mix down the audio and then for the past few episodes um after rens like added like music to one of the episodes I, i've been using my time working remotely to you know kind of edit them i cut out pregnant pauses and like coughs and stuff like that pregnant pauses okay like uh you know if if there's a long break or if it's just like or i don't know in. stuttering yeah well no i'm gonna keep the dog in that's my favorite part <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. You edit them. audition i actually learned how to use it online okay we yeah. have a yeah. We have a good dynamic going with our production quality in the beginning. Um, 
we were learning as we went and I was trying to figure out audition and the mics and, and try through trial and error. We figured it out after about 20 episodes or so mm-hmm. and got to a point where it was consistent. And when it comes down to the workflow, we just say, we just communicate with each other and say, you know, I'm going to do this today. I'm going to do this cover. Okay. We can both really do whatever needs to be done to produce. So mm-hmm. neither of us are really like necessary individually to get an episode done except for through the recording process itself so that's really nice yeah Renz did like the bulk of the work for the first 40 episodes because i didn't even have a computer at the time (laughs) (laughs) and it was fun it was just it was just nice it's it's like a cathartic feeling to let all your ideas and thoughts about art out you know no yeah i mean we've like chatted there's like so many times we've like you know like hours long conversations and we're like fuck we should just for this it's like but uh, yeah it's, i also it's, i have the idea that we should do art and design but like i i can't if, if that exists please tell me do you have a like a daily podcast where you get art and design news or even just design or just art news um not really like a lot of the art podcasts that aren't ours is just like gallerists who get cool yeah. artists or other like curators to talk. Yeah. I know that there's a UX UI podcast I was listening to and it it had um and it was also like it was mainly focused on like the programming aspect of it, not necessarily like the visual design aspect of it, but that had mm-hmm. more of uh tech news. Yeah. Like oh this just came out and you should, like that was like professional development sort of thing. Yeah, that's the thing I I've noticed this that like they talk about their industry and I'm like, you know, as, as I was saying, you know, Hannah has all the, the art background. And I'd like to, to at least catch up on what's happening now. And I think it would be cool if you could combine it with design. But I figured it probably would just be art news or something. But, yeah, that's an interesting thing. Like, because with a creative field, news around the field is, is a relatively niche market. I think so, too. I, I think that we, we tried doing stuff like that, but neither of us are are as like active on something like twitter which i think would be the best resource for finding that like good news for it where it's not just like oh a 60 million dollar van gogh painting was just sold like that's yeah if you look up art news that's what you're gonna find yeah Yeah. or like some like you having a podcast you having a podcast is exactly what helps with that though you know yeah one thing we do do is we don't necessarily focus on news that's specific to art gage and i sometimes just find um articles that we're interested in and we talk about it and see why there is a conversation about it that relates to art even if you know whether or not it does it really doesn't matter because artists absorb any information they can make art out of anything mm. i have a bone to pick with you guys actually now that reminds me oh oh what's the beef let's hear it um you guys are not big fans of jerry salt no, we're not. Well, Renz likes Jerry Salt. I hate Jerry Salt. I like love him. Really? So much. Yeah. Why? He's so creepy. Why is he creepy? creepy? He looks like he. Well, I know. I I have on good authority that he gives unwanted shoulder rubs, and that's enough for me. Oof. I mean, that's unfortunate to hear, but. <laughs> that's hilarious, Hannah, because that would be the thing that would make you hate someone instant. No, I know. No, I know. <laughs> 
I'm I'm sorry. I think that Jerry Salt's opinion on some forms of art is valuable, but I also find I, I find him very disingenuous. And I think that uh so I'm I'm borderline conspiracy theorist. I definitely feel like he's paid by wealthy artists in New York to add fake value to work so that they can then sell it um you know basically it's like, like, he's just like a stock that's wow. what i'm just saying, i just find it so interesting because i like the perspective of him yeah i'm sorry can you repeat that uh i said i just have a complete opposite perspective of him oh you think he's like equalizing things no, I would, well, I mean, I, would, I don't know if I go that far. I mean, he's still like, you know, he knows he has like a, a pull and say and change like people's like trajectories and and like value and stuff like that. Um, but I do think that he puts it into a perspective that's digestible to a large population, and that's what I think is really like valuable about what he does. And yeah, I think he's funny. A, he's a so. controversial figure. I honestly don't know what the um the I don't have any facts about why there is a kind of I don't know there's a, there's a people that hate Jerry Saltz people that love Jerry Saltz I'm kind of in the middle I'm just a spectator I see him as an art personality period and to me that's his value because I do think some of his writing is entertaining it's just that like I'm I'm from the outside looking in in the fine art world so I mean I could conspire all day because it's fun but. Yeah. I just don't know. I don't know. Jerry's a weird personality to me. I can't quite put my finger on it, but I can't say I hate him. <laughs> I just don't know what to hate. His book just came out, right? Yeah. But I'm listening to you guys as we go over his like points about um about being an artist. Oh yeah, I had that printed out. I was into it. Yeah. Yeah, Renz loves it. I I don't know. There's something about him that uh just feels disingenuous and like for me i i tend to love pretty much any type of content as long as it feels and just in my perspective as though it's it's being genuine and like when i when i read jerry salts you know he has really great opinions and you know he's he's funny sometimes but there's just like something about him that makes me uh distrust him I think he's become compromised. Like he might be a CIA asset. He's definitely a marketer for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can see that. That's definitely true. But he's also part of like a broader scope of of what I think is like dangerous to art itself. Like there's like that entire fine art industry I think is dangerous to the creative spirit. Um, hmm. Like gallerists. He's really like games. the person who's like champions that. No, not necessarily. I, I but I, I definitely think he profits. World, but I definitely think he's like the big, big outsider in the sense of like not it's not an outsider, but like I don't think he's a champion of that stuff. I think he actually like brings it to a much more like um not I don't think he I think he doesn't highlight that stuff. Even well, I'll have to I'll have to go back and and reread some of his stuff because like I I respect your opinion so I have, maybe maybe I'm just being paranoid. No, I mean I feel like I have to just say because now I'm wondering if I'm just like, oh my god, but <laughs> you just jump on this. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Um, so I'm glad you picked that bone. 
I thought there was only going to be controversy if I said that UX UI was corny, which I don't even believe. I just love drama. <laughs> we need drama in this quarantine. We don't have enough of it. I really think people do. So, all right. Seeing as your Instagram is filled with tons of great bite-sized information, is there a sign-off, you know, top five things you should do as an artist looking to uh, do something in this in this trying and confusing time? Like, how, how what advice can you give to us who have to adapt to basically what you all are doing now? Oof. Oh. I got I got I got one we kind of touched on earlier, which like learn how to learn and, and don't beat yourself up if you take an online course in the coming days, because I know a lot of people will. Um, it's not your fault if you can't get through it. It's the designer of the course's fault. So just try and do your work, your homework to make sure that the courses that you sign up for will be, you know, done well. Yeah, I also think like don't put so much pressure on yourself to like be better than yourself. Yeah. Like the system broke from above for, for us artists and designers, you know, like the reason a lot of the problems happen are not our fault, but I think there's things we can do about it. But also there's a huge weight there, as, as Hannah's alluding to, that we have to change the world. Like designers think this a lot. I'm sure artists think this a lot as well. But I think like we just need to, uh, you know, take take baby steps. We need to kind of take it take it slow and try and learn as much as possible. Gage, didn't you have one more question, like uh, your question in the very beginning, like what kind of artist does? I forgot what it was, though. I think I already asked it. I thought you had a couple. Oh, what? Okay. Um, <laughs> this is really stupid, but what type of artist do you guys think washes their hands the least? <laughs> um. I feel like it's someone who doesn't use their hands as much. A performance artist? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It's just performance art. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Unless that's part of it, you know, like sort of washing your hands as part of the scene. Yeah. Really... yeah. Singing happy birthday really like, you know, emphatically. That's the one thing, like all the art studios I've ever been into have a really nice big sink with lots of soap, you know. I think, you know, you're gonna be good. It's just for show. <laughs> <laughs> they just wash their hands every time instead. Yeah, that's that's how you have to do it. I remember people um, doing that in painting on a one, and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Just absorbing all of that good, yeah. good hard metal. I got in a lot of trouble in painting for refusing to paint with oils for that exact reason. Like turpentine's fucking disgusting and gives you cancer. You got my in teacher, trouble for that? Yeah, my, my teacher was like, if you don't paint with oils, you'll never be a painter. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do? That was my ticket out of here. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm making it big in the painting world. <laughs> my dad's a collector. I'm a witch. So... Um, you guys are really insightful, and 
I, you know, I was an educator for like six years and I never really thought about some of the things you guys are bringing up. So I really appreciate having you on. Yeah, same. You're you inspiring to us as well. Aww. It's nice to have fun on a platform and learn too, you know, it makes it easier. I yeah, felt like we just, <laughs> I feel like we tricked you guys into a free uh, webinar. <laughs> I'm calling everything online like this webinars from now on. I just love that word. You should. <laughs> Even like Onami, drunk webinar, you know? What was, your, what was your alternative term for critique again, Jeff? I kind of like that. Feedback sessions. A feedback session. Ooh. I like that. Because, it, you know, critique kind of can be a little triggering for some. Yeah. Yeah, I guess feedback session doesn't sound as intimidating. I don't, you know, I, I hate when people tell me my art sucks, so. <laughs> what about product review? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I work at a tech company. I'll swallow any bullshit term like that. I'm used to it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a startup? I mean, no, but we still call ourselves that like everybody else. Yeah, that's really, that's just popular. I thought it was that um, talk or something recently. And somebody like, um, I work at a startup. It's about 15 years old. I was like, um, I think you can call it a startup if you're 15 years old. I think I call, myself a, a, I call myself a kid. It's the same thing. <laughs> True. True. It's aspirational. Oh, okay. I think you're still a kid and a startup until you turn a profit. That's true. No. Okay. All right, everybody. This was a lot of fun. Almost yeah. as fun as last time. <laughs> hey, understandable. Understandable. It's harder. It's harder to drink at 3 p.m. So maybe that's why it's more understandable. Yeah. Yeah. There's no space for failure here. <laughs> I, I got to get accredited for day drinking before I can start doing. <laughs> All right, you guys want to um, you guys want to sign off? Any any pluggables? You guys want to plug yourselves? Yeah, I mean, on Instagram at um, Institute. And Institute is hard to spell, we know, but you can do it. <laughs> we spell it. That's sometimes. From. <laughs> <laughs> from the bottom of my heart thank you Anna and Jeff thank you lady um, we really appreciate you guys at the Fountain Institute on Instagram and we really appreciate having you uh, for all the interns out there this is Gage B I love you guys uh, check us out on Instagram at paid.artists and this is Rensby check us out on patreon at patreon.com slash podcast if you like this episode pay a couple hundred bucks to jeff and hannah's venmo account <laughs> um love yeah. you guys peace, peace. Damn it, you idiot, we ruined their entire recording. With Hannah's hacked microphone, we were unable to hear anything she was saying. She sounded like a goddamn robot, for Gates' sakes. Don't you understand? 
Igank, you fool. By disrupting the recording we were able to disrupt their line of communication. I was beginning to get worried that these so-called art professionals were getting a little... too... woke. We don't want the humans to communicate and learn collaboratively. They might get too smart too fast and slow down our... takeover. Ha 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 ha! Ha 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 ha! Ha 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 ha!